Hello, and welcome to The Athlete Diaries. I'm your host, Guy Walker. On this podcast, I take you through the journeys and challenges of professional athletes, from resilience to mental health and life away from sport. On this episode today, I'm lucky enough to interview one of Australia's up-and-coming wicketkeeper batsmen, Sam Harper. Not only is Sam a good friend, he's someone who I truly admire. He brings up those around him. He's someone that's always got time for others and is probably one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. Sam's had a very successful career to date, from representing his country to winning a big Bash League title. But that hasn't come without his challenges. Sam talks about the incident that put him in hospital for four weeks and his lengthy run with concussion. Sammy, welcome to the Athlete Diaries, mate. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Tex. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting. How's isolation been during this time, mate? What have you been up to? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting six weeks, mate, as it has been for all. But um, yeah, golf and uh, the surfing beaches opening up in the last uh, week or so has been, uh, been nice. And yeah, we're back at it in a couple of weeks. So looking forward to seeing the boys. There's a few things that I miss about sport, but pre-season is definitely not on that list. Um, we'll take it back, Sammy, to when you first started playing cricket. What are your early memories of picking up a cricket bat? Yeah, so I think pretty similar to most people, Tex. Um, things sort of just started in the family um, and in the backyard. We had a cricket pitch with golf, with golf holes in the cricket pitch, um, with a golf net, a basketball ring and some soccer goals, and then we made footy posts. So that was sort of growing up. I had a brother, an older brother, who, Jack, who's two years older than me, so we'd just be out in the backyard playing games with each other, playing games with our neighbours and stuff. And yeah, it was never really cricket's the sport or cricket's the one. It was just we played a range of sports, and then that's the that's the one that ended up coming to fruition in the later part. But it was yeah, just playing sport for fun, as it should be for all kids. You've been lucky enough to, to travel to some pretty amazing places and experience some amazing cultures, mate. What's it What's it like traveling all the time? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great part of cricket techs. I mean, more so in the recent years, it's been a lot of domestic stuff. Yeah, getting to go and play it states and play at the big stadiums and then yeah as an under 18 kid to then be going um i remember we went to sri lanka on a tour there which was great got to go over to dubai um yeah so to be 18 and going over to these places being able to play the game that you just as we touched and played in the backyard and just played in the local nets yeah they were they were just really great experiences that um i think that held you in really good stead once you did join like the victorian seniors men's team so yeah i, I remember those tours really fondly and how did you get your way into the victorian men's team uh, so it was a little bit of luck, to be honest. Uh, Matty Wade, fortunately for him, got picked in the Australian team um, as the wicketkeeper, and that, that we just played the England A team at the G in like a three-day out. So um, I think I was getting ready to just play another game for Melbourne, and then the, the phone rang saying that you're going to be playing um, the next Shield game. So that was pretty exciting because I think Paddo might have been coming back from injury and Sids was playing as well. So to be 18 and out in the G keeping to those two was pretty surreal. Yeah, how did that game go as well? You had a pretty good game as well, didn't you? Oh, but people actually are too nice there. Just nine batsmen nicked him and I happened to catch them. They were pretty straightforward catches. So everyone remembers me taking nine catches, but I didn't really do anything. I just stood behind there and caught them. So. I, think you, I think you're massively underselling yourself there. I, I, I remember some of the catches in that game and you were diving in front of first slip, diving in front of second slip. It was, no, it was awesome. I mean... You always you think about playing at the MCG and then to play with the caliber of players in that town. I think Dan Christian was at first slip, Cam White at second slip, Peter Hanscom at third slip, Rob Crine at gully, and then you got James Pattinson and Peter Siddle bowling. Like um, that was the four days I'll never forget. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty. That that sounds like a pretty amazing experience, and I can remember that game myself. And just even for me, just looking at it and just seeing, even though you're talking about them players, is how much at ease you looked out there and how, how easily you fit in. So um, I think that that sort of led on to to your big bash experiences as well. And some people might not remember, but you you were first with the stars, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Um, and that yeah, that was an interesting one. <clears throat> Pardon me, that was an interesting one in sport. I played five I think I played six games for the stars which was an awesome experience but to be honest I don't think I was quite ready to and knew what I was in for I mean I remember the second game walking out in front of 60 or 70,000 at the G and Brad Hogg was bowling and he blew my front board off second second ball and I just walked <laughs> off it was just such a surreal night playing in front of that many people I remember keeping and just my hands like shaking and my wrist being stiff as a board so I think those games for the stars they were really important when I did get the chance with the Renegades because I sort of knew how the whole thing worked. I got used to sort of walking out to bat in front of a crowd and then I could actually just focus on the cricket, which is the important thing. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that, that's a massive thing, isn't it, about um, you going from a Shield game where there might be 100 people there to a, to a big bash game with a sixty to 70,000 people there. How do you how do you prepare for that and how do you, you sort of rein it in? Yeah, that's right, Tex. The Shield game will have 12 security guards and a few of the chefs. <laughs> you can hear the ball <laughs> echo for miles and then... Yeah, it's funny how the same the same domestic players, and then you flip from November to December, and all of a sudden, twenty thousand people, thirty thousand people want to come. I think that's a credit to the big bash and how they've and it made it exciting for kids and families to come. I don't think you really can. I, I certainly wasn't ready for it. My my first game was down in Hobart, where there was twenty five thousand screaming hurricane supporters, and there was purple everywhere. Yeah, I think it just took a few games to get used to. I, I mean, I used the senior guys. I was lucky enough to have Dave Hussey, Rob Quiney, some similar names, and leaders who I really looked up to and aspired to as well, playing the same team who, like, if I made a mistake, they would just they would just come and, like, tap me on the bum. Like, it was never, mate, what are you doing? Like, it would, they just would come and laugh and just tap me on the bum and say, keep enjoying it, mate, which, which really helped make you feel calm in that situation. And then you went across towns. You went from the Melbourne Stars to the Melbourne Renegades. How did that deal all unfold? Um, yeah, so I'd play, so I came on as a replacement player, so I had no BBL contract, chugging along, playing for Melbourne, um, playing a few second 11 games for Victoria, and then uh, I remember Ronnie calling me saying that, well, Marcus Harris and Finchie had been going so well, they both were then going to open the batting for Australia in the test match, which left, um, I think that was the ideal plan for the Renegades for that year, that those two would open the batting, and both of them were opening the batting for Australia against Jasper Puma. Um Yeah, I remember Ronnie giving me a call and saying, mate, uh, we just wanted to come and play a couple of our practice games. So yeah, I went and played a couple of the practice games. Wasn't expecting anything. I was fielding out at deep square leg and fine leg. Timmy Luderman um, was keeping. So I just thought I was filling in the numbers for the practice game. And then, yeah, the next day, uh, a guy who you know, Tex Swampy, one of my favorite men on the planet, came and gave me a uniform and said, um, that's yours, mate. And I said, oh, here you go. And then that afternoon I had a chat with Ronnie and I was, um, yeah, he said I was in line to play the first game and ended up, yeah, playing the first game and batting at three against Perth Scorchers. So, yeah, it's sort of funny how that whole week played out. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I actually didn't know that. That's an amazing, it's amazing how quickly that happened for you. Um, that's, that's a pretty big, uh, big turnaround from thinking that you're playing great cricket to going out and potentially batting three against the Perth Scorchers in front of 30 or 40,000. How did you, how did you end up going for that, them first couple of games? I'm going to, I have to credit Ronnie there. Um, Ronnie, the coach was amazing. Like he just, he just said, mate, we want you to play with freedom and just go out there and like play your shots. Um, at that time, like I'd worked on that little ramp shot and stuff like that. And he just backed me and the rest of the coaches just backed me to the brink. So like, I remember there was in those first few games, there was games where I'd make 30 or 40 off 20 odd balls. And there was games where I'd get out second ball doing something stupid, but 
similar to the Dave Hussey and Rob Kiney's back at the Stars patting me on the bum, it was the same at the Renegades. These coaches and senior guys would come in and say, mate, that's awesome, just keep doing it. Um, so that just really gave me the belief to just go out and have fun and just play with freedom, which, um, yeah, I mean, to end up going on that year and winning the winning the title, it's funny how you go from not even thinking about being involved in the Big Bash one year and then two months later we, we were beating the Stars at Marvel. So it was a funny little couple of months of the summer. In probably one of the, the the craziest games of cricket I reckon I've ever seen in my entire life as well. What was that like to have the Stars needing – 50 runs to win with 10 wickets in hand and 10 overs to go and you guys knock them off in probably one of the biggest upsets from in that from that position in in cricket history let alone BBL history yeah well the the turning point for the day for me was when um Jackson Bird bowled a ball and Finchie obviously being our best batter got run out off his foot or hand I can't remember but it was off his foot or hand and that put us like three or four down. Um, and I was like, fuck, this, this isn't our day today. And then Coops and Christo got us to 145, um, which was probably borderline just competitive. I mean, you know what 2020 is like these days, seven and over is hardly a daunting task for, especially the Stars batting mm-hmm. lineup with Bravo, Maxwell, Stoyness, Dunk, Hanscom. Like they had such a good batting lineup. And then, yeah, they're none for 93 off 12 overs. <laughs> I think we were just going, fuck, let's get off here. We're being embarrassed. Um, and then, yeah, just it. I think we took six for fifteen in nine minutes or something. And it was it was crazy. To this day, I think that's one of the craziest games cricket I reckon I've ever seen. Was that was that year for you in the Big Bash something that um, you could come out and go, "Yep, I can bat in the first six overs and bat in the top three here and really take it to the to the team." And and did it fill you with a bit more confidence? Yeah, it, it no doubt helped with my confidence. I mean, towards the back few games when I played for the Stars, I was really comfortable with my wicket keeping, but I was batting down at number seven or eight, and I just felt like I wasn't really going to be able to help the team or contribute to the team, um, which is a big thing in the team sport. Like, all you want to do is be able to help the team and contribute to the team. So when you feel like you can't really do that, yeah, it, obviously some self-doubt and stuff creeps in. Um, so, yeah, then to get a chance at the top of the order where there was only two fielders outside the ring, um, I think that really helped me. And, yeah, I could utilise different parts of the ground. I wasn't needing to come out second ball and clear long on. Yeah, those first few games, getting a few runs away. I mean, second game we played at Adelaide Over, which was one of the best wickets I've batted on, so that that helped. And then, yeah, I think confidence is just such a big thing. And then from there, you sort of just know you can do it. And then you also almost expect yourself then to go out and do it. So then that whole new kettle of fish comes in when then you want to just perform as well as you can. Watching you sort of be 50, 40 off 20 balls or 50 off 20 balls, it was it was exciting to watch and, and you just didn't want to see you get out. So how how do you not fear that first six overs of getting out? And some of the shots that you were playing were, were incredible and what cricket's becoming now. Yeah, it's an interesting point because like most of the, to be honest with you, Tex, and I think this is quite common for a lot of elite, like a lot of professional sportsmen, like I certainly don't spend the whole day before the Big Bash game going, far, I'm going to go out and brain him in the first six overs that night. Like a lot of the time you're, you're nervous, you're twitchy, there's the anxiety about how the team's going to go. And I think most of the nerves and stuff for me are before the game. Then once I actually go out and bat, I'm just like, fuck, how good is this? Like, I'm batting in front of 20,000 people at the MCG or Etihad Stadium. Like, this is awesome. And then I just I just use that. I just have fun and use that. Um, as you said, sometimes I ran the second ball to 45 and look like an idiot, or sometimes I get bold back and away and expressing all my stumps. And sometimes I hit it for four or six. So, yeah, I think that's just part and parcel of T20 cricket. I, just, I really just try and keep enjoying it. What was it like, I think, to, to be in a team – and to be on a journey of just getting into that team last year and um, and winning the championship, and then sort of this year at one stage, didn't it didn't look like the Renegades were going to win a game. Well, it was really funny. I mean, this year I remember being we were nine and oh, sorry, we were zero and nine. We've lost our first 
nine games in a row. We, I, I'm not going to say we should have been nine and zero, but it honestly felt like we should have been like three and six or four or five or five and four. And there was just like one or two overs in every single game that cost us. And we'd actually play 36, 37 really good overs, and then there'd just be a key moment every game. The previous year, we weren't actually doing that much different. We just those key moments we. We won that sort of key over or key moment, and this year we were losing that key moment or key over, and that was really the difference between last year us being six and four, and this year us being one and nine and being out of the competition and ended up finishing last. So I think that's a fickle game. That's the difficulty of the game. I mean, the Sydney Sixers this year could come out and play nine pretty solid games and be one and eight, and their last year's champions. I mean, and that's what should make it exciting for the viewers that this every team has their strengths and gun players that can win them a game. So you, you really don't know what's going to happen. I want to take you back to an incident in 2017. I think the career that you've had so far has been incredible, but it hasn't um, come without your challenges. And you cemented yourself as Victoria's number one keeper in 2017. And uh, if, if if people haven't seen it, they can they can go and see it on, on probably YouTube or I imagine or something. But um, it was just one of them freak accidents that Jake Lehman uh, went to to pull a ball and hit you in the face with his bat wasn't it so what was what was all that like and what, what can you remember from that yeah it's certainly a time in my life I'm, I'll never forget and probably for all the wrong reasons I mean again as you said it was this complete freak accident no one did anything wrong I, I hope and I hope and touch with that it would never happen or I would never wish it happened on anyone and for the however long cricket goes for and I don't think it will it was just it was such a fluke that the bat would hit me in the head. I mean, it's never happened before. So, yeah, I just, well, I don't remember too much about the day, as you could imagine, and I'm happy to have a laugh about that. <laughs> yeah, I just, I remember that night, I was, the first time I remember I was conscious and could actually think about where I was. I was just in a hospital. Um, I was at the Royal Adelaide Hospital. Wasn't really sure what had happened that day, just was feeling horrendous. And, yeah, the Vic boys being the Vic boys were all awesome. They all came in that night, wished me well, wished me all the best. Um, and they were all, all for the next three weeks while I was in Adelaide Hospital in regular contact. Um, and, yeah, those, th- those three weeks were very lonely. Yeah, I'm not going to shy away from the fact they were probably the worst three weeks of my life. I mean, I'm in a hospital bed. I cannot look at a screen because it just it would send my headaches and dizziness nuts. Cannot watch a TV, can't, look at, can't read a book or can't read a paper. I was just literally in a dark room for three weeks. I didn't even know when the sun had risen or when the sun was setting. It just was felt like nighttime for three weeks. Um, I'd get woken up on the hour, every hour, to get my heart rate and stuff checked to make sure I was still conscious and not having any. Uh, I was having these like faint attacks, like where I, I pretty much pass out for a minute, so I wouldn't be even present with the conversation I was having with somebody else. So I think that was a bit scary. Like my dad was awesome, and Cricket Australia and Cricket Victoria were awesome. They sent Dad over and accommodated him for three weeks, so he'd come and sit by my bed for most of the day and just chat to me and make sure I was okay. Um, but I think that was quite confronting for him to see that. You, you mentioned that you you struggled to walk at some stages. Can you? What happened there? Was it? Did you need someone to to help you um, try to get up and, and and even do basic things like that? Yeah, so I, I I wasn't allowed to leave my hospital bed even to go to the bathroom or. T- do anything like I'd just have to call for emergency assistance to help me go to the toilet. Um, yeah, I was in a walking frame for seven days. There was something in the back of my, like in the back of your brain, which sends signals down to your legs, um, was the way the neurologist explained it to me. He sends signals that help you and I and everyone just walk two steps forward every day, which we take for granted. But at that time, these signals weren't as clear as they should have been, which was actually making what is a simple task of walking 
it made me feel like I was learning the alphabet or learning how to count to 10 again. And I was, I literally had a physio walking me 10 steps down the hallway, teaching me how to walk again. And that was really frustrating because my brain knew how to walk. It just wasn't my legs and sort of stuff weren't coming to terms with, with that. So yeah, I, I mean, I was the most embarrassed with that. Like I was 20, 21 year old, supposed to be a professional sportsman. And here I was in the hospital with people walking past and they're looking at me learning how to walk again. So yeah, it wasn't, a, wasn't a good time. The, the the impact mentally must have been it's something that I could never even comprehend spending so long in a hospital and then so long in rehab is that how did it affect you mentally and how did you go about trying to to keep your mental health in, in a good frame of mind yeah it's a good point I mean having dad there was really important um he would literally come every single day and dad thinks he's a jokester or a bit of a prankster, so he'd sort of just come with something to make me laugh or cheer me up or something. He'd buy something random for me to eat from, from the shops or something. I mean, South Australian cricket were amazing. They have this thing over there called the plum chicken, which is a really famous lunch meal that um, they give to the players. So the chefs at Sacker Cricket, I can't, like, can't think enough, they went in on a day off and made plum chicken three days' worth, and then they brought that into the hospital for me to enjoy. So to be honest, it was just like little things like that, little bits of generosity from other people that um, I was really grateful for through that time. Crew Victoria were great. They flew my family, um, my brother, my mom and Georgia over. So I got to see them for a weekend, um, which sort of broke it up a bit. And yeah, but then once I sort of got back playing cricket and could do all my things normally again, I just, I think I appreciated it even more. Yeah. I, I think I remember, I remember seeing you probably for the first time out outside of that situation and it would have been months and months later. And I think we just did a simple activity like go down to the coast and I think we try to maybe go for a swim or go go surfing and just I, I can still remember it to this day the, the the joy for you to actually just get into a car and be able to drive and go and surf and that was months later it, it, it's something that I, I don't think anyone can really comprehend unless they probably go through it like you did what kind of resilience did you have to show and do you reckon it's helped you now for going forward that you could think you can tackle a lot of events that are thrown at you yeah i think it has Tex. i mean yeah without saying the cliches again i mean until you can't do something and your body won't let you do it you don't realize how much you take something for granted so in those three weeks in hospital where i was probably at yeah the, one of the lowest points i've been mentally i wasn't even thinking about cricket i was just like i want to get home so i can see my family see my close friends and walk properly again like that was all i was thinking about not all right when's the next game when's this how many runs did I make did we win like all this stuff that consumes you during the summer that you think is so important and then it sort of gets taken away from you and it, you realize that yeah it's important and you want to be the best sort of person cricket you can be but at the end of the day there's far more important things actually going on in your career and in life um, itself so I think in terms of the resilience I think it's really helped me sort of in that aspect to be able to sort of what sort of comes to me in the summer now sort of doesn't feel like anything compared to what I went through in those few months in Adelaide. What about that? I, I think I read something last night in one of the articles that you said that you went back into the cricket nets a couple of months later after the incident, and uh, you, you put the you put the ball machine on on short and had to get get rid of the fear of of bounces and that sort of stuff. So how, how quick did you have that on, and how did you how did you go about that? Yeah, I, I think it was in one of my. First, I remember my first hit was actually with Greg Shippard, and then I think I just went into the G one time with Dad, just us two outside of training hours. I could do whatever I wanted and Dad and I just had a bit of fun. We put some tennis balls in the machine and let them ping. We just had fun, like, but I just wanted to, I wanted to put a full stop on it and I wanted to stop talking about it with everyone because everyone being so nice, all they wanted to ask about was how my head was going and that was really nice and genuine of them. And, but you yourself know you've had 
unfortunately so many injuries and that have crippled you sometimes sometimes you don't want to talk about it. you just want to be like hey mate how's your day you want to get a coffee and talk about other things than your concussion um so i was pretty keen to put a full stop on it stop talking about it and just move on so i felt facing those bounces and just getting back keeping up to the stumps was the quickest way to do that the greatest and this sounds really funny but this the things that have helped me the most in the past sort of few years has been when i've got hit and just been fine i mean even this year an example would be like I had that thing with Nathan Ellis in the big bash where I tripped over him and then three weeks later we're playing a shield game. One of the soccer boys, I was diving for a quick single again and threw it flush into my head and I was just completely fine. So it's nice to know that it takes a freak accident or a really severe thing to actually concuss you. Like I'm not, I'm not just every time I get hit in the head with a fly, I'm going to be concussed. After that incident as well, did you, were you out for a little bit? Because I think I saw you a couple of weeks or months later in, in your first game back. So you, you, you were out for a little bit of time as well after that then? Yeah, I was out for probably a couple of weeks, which was, which was really frustrating because I was keen to play the last few games and then the Shield stuff was starting back up really quickly. Yeah, and unfortunately with my history, I think whilst I don't want it to be, the doctors and physios and stuff are always going to be cautious and they're really honest and open with me and I'm open and, open and honest with them. So I think we, yeah, again, we just made the best decision we could for my safety. Yeah, and then I got back playing and, yeah, it's been good since then. So I think it was worth just taking those few extra days. Yeah. I think the thing that people don't understand is that concussion isn't like a surgery, like getting your shoulder operated on and you come home and you can watch TV and you're out for three or four months, but you can you can do majority of things. But with concussion, what's it like for you now as around, can you tell where it's, it's a bad point or where you actually need to go, all right, I actually need a couple of weeks off here and not to do anything. Are you at the point now where you can actually understand when it's getting bad and when you can get through it yeah it's a really good point Tex. unfortunately because i've had a couple it's actually going to help me and put me in good stead in the future like i know the symptoms really well now and i know what sets me off um so i knew straight away that night in hospital after the marvel stadium one against the hurricanes that i was going to be fine pretty quickly i knew that was probably maximum two weeks i was hoping for a week turnaround because the symptoms were the symptoms were bad but they were nowhere near what they were like when I've had really bad ones. And then on the, on the same thing, like now I've been hit and been bounced and been hit with a bouncer or get hit with a throw getting hit to my head. And you just bounce back up and keep batting or keep keeping because you know what to feel like. And I mean, I think unfortunately, because we talk about it so much, which is great, and we've got, created such a research thing about it. I just hope that in the future, these 12, 13, 15 year old kids coming through now don't get a knock on the head and sort of self-talk themselves into a bit of a headache or symptoms and stuff just because they've heard it or watched it on the tv that you, you actually can get hit and just get straight back up from it like you'll know when you've got concussion so yeah i think it's helpful and i think i can help people out who've got concussion in the future because i sort of can relate to them about what the symptoms should and will feel like you can become a, a great advocate for it and and help people out because it is such a gray area even in the afl now there's some players that that have got quite bad concussions and it's whether or not they keep playing or not, and that's the stage they're at, at now. So, yeah, it, it's been been an amazing journey for you so far, and it must be so frustrating to have them couple of weeks off and not be able to play them last couple of games in the big bash like when you were going really well. It, obviously, mentally, it must be quite frustrating and must get you down. Is there anything anything outside of sport or anything that you do for your mental health that you find that helps you? Yeah, I think it's obviously frustrating at the time, Tex, but if you put it into perspective, like, I mean, you look at the fast bowlers, concussion is just another form of injury. It's just an injury to your brain. I mean, there's you look at all the fast bowlers and all the injury setbacks they have, keepers with their fingers and 
batters getting hit in certain spots. I mean, I think as a sportsman, you've got to be aware that injury is just a part of what we choose to do. So I've just sort of, it, whilst it is ultra frustrating, as you mentioned there, you just sort of, for those few weeks you go, right, this is part of it. I, I like just writing a sort of a goal date when I'm going to be back. And then in those few weeks, I'd, yeah, I do do a few things that I enjoy off the field. Usually with concussion, it's not going surfing or playing golf or anything. It's a bit more low-key than that. It might be just taking the dog for a walk. Yeah, just stuff to get outside and keep you active. And, yeah, looking forward to the day you can sort of get back playing again. And now a message from our amazing partner, Mendel. The Athlete Diaries is proudly supported by Mendel a Melbourne-based, non-for-profit apparel label aimed at igniting conversations and raising awareness around men's mental health. All proceeds from sales go directly to a charity of the month. With the discount code AD20, just for our listeners, you can join the Mendel movement today with 20% off at www.mendel.com.au. I've been lucky enough to be around you for for a while and um, being able to see what you like with people and, and the leader that you are. Not only are you very empathetic and, and kind to people, but you're on, on field, you're very knowledgeable and, and you're a very good leader. Is that something that you want to keep doing is, is captaining different sides through the Big Bash or Victoria or, or so forth? Or is that more on a, on a bit of a back burner um, and just f- focusing on actually playing the game? I think all of us want to be a leader with in the team and be able to sort of bring something that contributes to the team in a good way. And I mean, for now with the captaincy, I'm not, that is definitely on the back burner at the moment. I mean, I'm, I just feel like I'm so lucky to play under Aaron Finch and Peter Hanscom at Victoria and the Renegades. Like, and then for my club side, Cameron White's captain of Melbourne. Yeah. Captaincy is not something I'm definitely thinking about at the moment. I'm just trying to become the best sort of batter and person I can be. And if that sort of transpires over the future, then it'll be what it'll be. Them, them three that you mentioned as well, they're, they're great leaders and, and great leaders in their own right and have so many different qualities from each other. Uh, are you trying to pick up different things um, and different skills uh, or, that they have because each one, like I said, have is, is quite a different personality? Yeah, they are. I mean, I think the thing that stands out with all three of them, and I mean, I've been watching The Last Dance text, I'm sure a lot of people have been. I just love Finchy, Whitey's and Pete's will to win. Like they just want, they want to win. And that's why we play sport to win. Like that's the most, I chose a team sport in cricket and there's nothing better than winning a game of cricket with 11 of your mates. So I think all those three people are extremely competitive. They drive the standard at training on the field and off the field about preparation, but then they're also just genuine blokes. So you can go and share an idea with them on the field, whether you're off the field and you're struggling with something with your batting, you can go and have a chat to them and they'll be happy to help you out. So they, they're just sort of a round leader and sort of a round person. One thing as well is, is outside of sport, I think it's so important to, to make sure that you've got a bit of a balance outside of uh, sport and, and the transition that a lot of players have to go through back into, in, into the real world and have to get real jobs. And what, what sort of importance do you give to outside of sport? And is there anything you're, you're doing like work experience or university or anything like that, that one day, um, I'm sure for you, it's going to be when you're 35 or 40, but is there something that you're sort of looking into and, and got a bit of a passion for? Yeah, definitely text. I mean, for me, I deferred uni for a couple of years. And then two years ago, I was actually watching the Collingwood documentary and um, Brody Grundy was studying. And I was like, but I was just giving myself all these excuses how I didn't have time to do any study. I just need to be cricket, cricket, cricket. And I was like, if the best ruckman in the game and one of the best AFL players in Australia can do a bit of part-time study, I think my 22-year-old 
brain and cricket, I can do a little bit of study as well. And I think it's really been important for me as well. I mean, as you mentioned, if you're really lucky, cricket will go into your low 30s, maybe mid 30s if you're an absolute, if you're a Sean Marsh or someone like that. But yeah, then there's 50, 60 years of your life left where you've got to contribute. So like for me, I'm doing a P in health education degree. I'm really interested in the mental health aspect and working with younger people. So I thought that was a sort of a good degree that um, will get me into sort of the line of work I want to do post cricket, which I'm not exactly sure of yet. But And it's certainly good to, even in pre-season coming up, not just get consumed with cricket, like be able to go and train really hard and then come back and actually then just switch off from cricket and do some uni, spend some time with mates, get in the car and go for a surf, go and play golf, just have this sort of balance that takes cricket away from being absolutely everything. Because I think once cricket becomes everything and and it consumes you, you know what it's like. It can be a tough and brutal sport, so I don't think it really helps you perform at your best anyway or be the best person you can be. And is it something that you're going to continue doing with the uni or or work experience or is there anything coming up for you that uh, you want to maybe put a bit of time into? Yes, it's a good point. So I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing two online units um, this trimester and I'll do another two online um, into next trimester. And then I don't do any study over the summer because when the games are rolling around, I do want to put everything into those, being able to prepare and play those games as well as I can. Um, but definitely with our cricket off-season, I think there's a good chance to um, get a few units rolling on here and there. And then, yeah, with the work experience sort of stuff, been in some light contact with a, with um, Martin Heppel, who's a guy at the Resilience Project, just picking his brain over a copy a couple of times. And I went and watched one of his presentations at a school where he presented what the Resilience Project are about at a school down in um, Frankston one day where I went down with him and just picked his brain down there. So just all these little, just trying to learn about as much as I can. And some of the stuff that they're doing uh, at the Resilience Project, which is just so simple, which is just this grat- gratitude and mindfulness and being in the present moment. Yeah, I've been trying to practice that, not just with cricket, but just with everyday life as well. Is that the next line for you? So you might maybe try and speak to speak to kids or work with that with the resilience project in in trying to show some value of your career and your experiences through sport and life in general yeah definitely text i mean i think somewhere down the track post cricket that sort of field i'd love to get involved into i think what hugh has done there with his business and the project along with martin's been awesome there's a few of us sportsmen or whoever that could help out in that in that sort of sphere and share what we've learned and how we could contribute or what and but more importantly what it's told me is what they can teach us i mean i think we can learn so much we feel like we can just because we're a professional sportsman it's always us that has to do the talking and people learn from us but a lot of the time we actually learn from other people and we learn from like well i can learn from stunzen in india who who speaks a lot about who was just just kept things so simple and so basic and he was so happy in doing that and how that's transpired for him to be the best in his life and i think we can actually learn just as much as we can give yeah it's an amazing point just to that professional athletes can still learn about things outside of outside of the sport that they can take back into the sport that gratitude journal and the way that these people keep it quite simple but happy is if you're happy you're probably going to be more chance to actually succeed in your sport aren't you yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm uh, I'm playing cricket in Melbourne. Got a great family and friends around me. All the boys at the Vicks are great, so it's pretty easy to sort of roll into training and have a good time. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty lucky that that sort of most of that stuff does itself for you. But it's important, as you said, when things like have, that with the concussion in Adelaide happen, that you've sort of done a bit of stuff behind you. That when something like that does happen, which which it's going to happen in cricket, that you good space to deal with it. I think on a bit of a lighter note at the moment, I've got a few things to ask you, which you're probably not going to be very happy with. I've been in contact with some of some of your good mates, Will Bukowski and uh, Matty Short, uh, and asked if they've got any stories about you or if they wanted to clear anything up. So 
I've got a few questions for you. And even though you're you're an intelligent man uh, and very very kind person, Harps, I think some of these things you sometimes have a bit of a blonde moment. So with the first one, Puck tells me that when you were cooking dinner one night for a few of the boys at the academy, you cooked the pasta with the water boiled. And instead of draining draining the water, you poured the whole can of sauce in the water with the pasta and then served it up and wondered why it was runny. <laughs> Is that true? Unfortunately, true, Tex. Yes. We had, um, I was in room 13 with Sammy Grimway, one of my good mates, and we'd had room 14, who was Caleb, Jewel, and Josh Inglis had had us over for dinner. So I said to the, I had a joke that morning at training. I said, right, boys, I'm doing dinner tonight. Like, it's going to be a feast. Of course, just doing the basics of all basics pasta. So here I am, Grim and Julie and Ingo, I just sit on the couch, I'm doing dinner, we're having a good time, chatting away, and I've just, I've done it. And then I've, Grim's come over to the bench and gone, and he's just like giving the biggest laugh you would ever imagine. Harpsy, what are you doing? Anyway, I didn't want everyone else to find out, so I've got onto Shorty and called him who was up on the top level and said, Shorty, I need you to bring some, uh, bring some pasta sauce down. Of course, Shorty being Shorty, bangs our door down and go, you idiot, and brings and brings the pasta sauce in. So, yeah, my cooking hasn't improved either. too much, Tex. Yeah, there's not much hair on this noggin, but that was a blonde moment. I've got one more for you. So I think I, th- I think I was there when I heard you say this. On the way up to Queensland when you were playing a game, finished that game and you were flying back down and you asked a question, I think, to Will asking him if flying from Queensland down to Melbourne, is it quicker because it's downhill? No comment. Makes sense, doesn't it? It is downhill on the map. Mate, I love it. Harps, I want to just thank you for for coming on and sharing a bit of your cricketing journey uh, and then also a few of the challenges you've gone through so far in your career. And personally, I can't wait to see see where you get to. And it's always something I've said from when I saw you at a young age was how talented a cricketer and how nice a bloke you are. So it's something that I'm looking forward to seeing where your career gets to and and can't wait to catch up with you when this uh, COVID has, has all finished. So just want to say thanks, mate, and thank you for coming on. No, no worries, Tex. Appreciate it, mate. You're a good man. Thank you to all of you legends for tuning in to the first episode of The Athlete Diaries. I really appreciate you listening in. If you want to ask me a question or leave a review, you can get in contact with me at any social media handle, The Athlete Diaries. 